Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. That is page 1015, if you're using the black Bibles that are provided. Today we come to chapter 3, verse 8 in our study through 1 Peter. And as we come to this verse, we are actually transitioning from, to a new section in Peter's letter. We're, we're transitioning from a section that has dealt primarily with uh, submission to authorities over us to now a section that's going to be the theme of which will be suffering as a Christian. This new section, which begins here in 3 verse 8, runs all the way through the end of chapter 4, and it's going to teach us how to endure suffering to the glory of God. How to endure suffering to the glory of God as God's word will encourage us to persevere by God's grace as we keep our hope set on the glorious inheritance that awaits us at the return of Christ. Right? That's where Peter began his book with the inheritance. We'll be talking about that again today because uh, he keeps pointing us back to that. So our text this morning is chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. So I'd ask the congregation to stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Let's hear the word of the Lord together as I read now. 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. What does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, what is that supposed to look like? Or what's the, what's the goal? What's the aim? Um, what, what is a Christian to be doing? Well, you know, it really gets to kind of the fundamental nature of what it means to follow Christ, right? Well, we know a Christian is someone who follows Christ in order to become like him. Right? We are to be growing to become increasingly like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what this passage largely is about this morning. Notice that verse 8 begins, finally all of you. Right, The last several paragraphs in Peter's letter he's, have been directed, if you think about it and recall, they, they've been directed to specific groups. Right, Servants, this is how you should respond to masters, especially those that are harsh. Wives, this is how you're supposed to act with husbands. Husbands, this is how you're supposed to treat your wives. But now in verse 8, Peter says, finally, all of you. (laughs) Those of you from the south, it's it's almost like Peter's using a you all here, right? You all listen, right? This, what I'm about to say applies to everybody. This is how all Christians are to be living. So I hope that encourages you. May God help us all. This morning, to listen, believe, and obey his word to the glory of his name. The title of the sermon this morning is Living That Demonstrates New Life in Christ. 
living that demonstrates a new life in Christ. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what the Bible teaches, right? That our salvation is not by our works, that it is based solely on the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. And as we think about that, and as we think about what what the Christian life is to look like, it's been well said that though salvation is through faith alone, true saving faith is never alone. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression or not. Salvation is through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? But true saving faith is never alone. Now, what is that talking about? Well, what it's meaning is that a Christian, someone who has truly been saved by God's grace through Christ alone, a Christian will display good works. It should change their life. They will display good works to the glory of God. Because the Bible says when God saves us, we become new creations with the Holy Spirit, with God the Spirit living inside of us. And, that, and the Holy Spirit then produces in us the fruit of the Spirit. And, and a, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, he is um, He's transforming us by God's grace through the Word of God increasingly into the image of Christ throughout our lives. Right? So this... This journey we're on of following Christ, it's, it's fellowshipping with him, it's learning from him in order to become like him, and that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. That's the process of sanctification. We've already been positionally set apart for God, and now we are to be increasingly set apart for his glory as we become more like Christ, and the Holy Spirit is transforming us that way. So that's encouraging. Though we still struggle with sin as disciples of Christ... And again, I know I'm repeating myself, but I think it's just important for us to remember these foundational truths. As disciples of Christ, we are seeking to follow Jesus in order to be growing more and more like him by God's grace. The passage before us this morning is about Christ-like living. It's about becoming more like Christ You know, as we're going to go through these qualities, I hope you're just thinking again and again, Jesus is like that. (laughs) Jesus does that. And it's like, yes, exactly. And so he's calling us then to be like that by his power. So this is about becoming more like Christ. It's about, and this is why I titled it the way I did the sermon. It's about living in such a way that gives evidence that God has saved us. Living in such a way that gives evidence that Christ is in us by his indwelling spirit. Think about it. As we talk about becoming like Christ, that's our privilege, right? It's our privilege and it's our calling as Christians to become more and more like our Lord Jesus. For a couple reasons. One, so that we can know him more and more, right? And so that we display him to others. And again, our theme this year is um, to know Christ and to make him known. Certainly we make him known through our, through our speech, right? Through proclaiming the gospel and we make him known through our lives. And really in the next passage that we won't get to today, but in verse 15, Peter brings those two together, right? As they see your life, then that gives you an opportunity to speak about the hope that's in you, about the gospel, 
So becoming like Christ is our privilege and it brings glory to his name as we display Jesus to the world around us, right? I mean, think about it. That's exciting. That's, that's our, in, in many ways, that's our life call, right? It's to know Christ and make him known. We, we want others to catch a glimpse of the beauty of Christ. We want others around us, unbelievers around us, to get just a taste of his glory as they see what he's doing in our lives. And then as God gives us opportunity, of course, to point them to the living word through the word of God. And it's not just, when we think about becoming like Christ, it's not just for evangelistic purposes, although it does accomplish that. God accomplishes that. But we're going to see in verse 8 that becoming like Christ benefits other believers as well. Okay, so I'll say more about that in a, in a minute. So, we want to become like Christ in order to bring glory to Christ. I didn't, I didn't state bringing glory to Christ as one of my points on the outline, but I just want you to know it's the theme that runs through this whole sermon. Okay? We're, we're seeking to become like Christ in order to bring glory to Christ. So, I do want to center our time together around this, this theme of Christ-like living. And I, I, as we consider verses 8 through 12 this morning, uh, we're going to do it under three headings. And you'll see those in your, in your bulletin there if you want to take notes, additional notes. The three headings are the power for Christ-like living, qualities of Christ-like living, and then encouragement for Christ-like living. So let's begin with number one, power for Christ-like living. Our text this morning in God's word has commands for us to follow. God's word in verses 8 through 12 is calling us to be Christ-like in our conduct. But it's important for us to understand that I am not up here preaching moralism today. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you just need to do better. Right? The Bible does not call us to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and to try to do better like through self-improvement. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what the Bible calls us to. Commands for Christians are always grounded in the gospel. Commands for Christians are always grounded in what God has first done for us through Jesus Christ. So it's, it's important for us to remember, you know, it's great that we're going through a book, right? But we're, what chapter are we in this morning? <laughs> chapter 3, right? Well, what's Peter been talking about? Remember, Peter began his letter in chapter 1 by praising God for his great mercy and causing us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he talked about that for most of chapter 1, really, uh, the inheritance that's ours now because of what God has done for us by his grace through Christ. And then in chapter 2, verse 9, Peter declared to, to the Christians that he's writing to, memories writing to Christians that are scattered in Asia Minor there. He, he declared, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So he's telling them who they are in Christ. This, he's not telling them, hey, you need to become a chosen people. Hey, you need to become a people for his own possession. He's saying, no, this is who you are. This is who God has made you to be. And that's true for us as believers today too. 
So all these commands, again, as we look at verses 8 through 12 of chapter 3, all these commands are grounded in what Christ has done for us and in light of who we are in Christ. Again, think about these truths, loved ones. You are born again. Right? I'm speaking to Christians. If you're in Christ, you are born again. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You are new creations. You've been rescued from bondage to sin. Sin used to be our master, right? And and the things we're going to be talking about today is going to be like putting off that sin and putting on righteous living, righteousness. And we've been rescued from bondage to sin. We belong to God. We are children of God now. You are a child of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. And because that is true, there are essential characteristics that will flow from from your life. And that's what this passage is, is directing us about, reminding us of, instructing us about. So as we come to these commands to Christ-like living in chapter 3, let us understand that the power to do this, right, that's our heading, the power to do this comes from God. Living like Christ is a result of Christ's life in us. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So uh, excuse me, sanctification involves our effort and it involves our obedience. And the, the text today in 1 Peter is calling us to that. It does involve our effort. It does involve our obedience. But praise God, the power to do it, the power for Christ-like living comes from God and not from us. Amen. Praise God. So that's the first heading. Secondly, then, let's consider the qualities of Christ-like living. Look at, again, at verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Verse 8 has the focus primarily on how we are to treat others within the body of Christ. Right? If you're familiar with Paul's epistles, right, you know most of them have a section of kind of like the one another's of Scripture. Right? Like I'm thinking about Colossians chapter 3. There Paul uses um, really like the imagery of clothing, right? You know, put off all those all those old sinful ways that used to characterize you before God saved you. And now then, as God's chosen ones, holy and loved, he says... Put on then, and he goes into the list, right? Put on these new Christ-like clothes. That's really what Peter's doing here. And, and he, Peter's section is very condensed of the one another's. But that's what verse 8 is about. Finally, all of you, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Absolutely, we should be treating all people that way. But he's specifically talking about, this is how I want you to be behaving Within the body of Christ. So let's just try to kind of quickly go through these. These five adjectives that are to characterize believers in their relationships with one another. And and as we do that, and again I'll say this on the tail end too, but this is for the building up of the body. Right? It's for the glory of God and it's for the building up for the good of each other. Number one, unity of mind. We are to be united in mind. We are to have a common commitment to truth. 
that produces an inward unity of heart. Right? It starts with this common, by, by God's grace, this common commitment to truth. And then that results in, because we have that common commitment to truth, that results in us living in harmony with one another. It, it, in other words, what Peter's saying here is kind of like Jesus prayed in John 17. Remember the, the, his high priestly prayer? That they may all be one. That's kind of what this is talking about. Unity of mind. As believers in Christ, then let us remember our common commitment to truth. Right? And I was reminded of Ephesians chapter 4. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Think about this common commitment to truth, this common... uh, gospel truth and gospel experience we all have. We are all sinners saved by God's grace through Christ. By God's grace, we've all come to believe that salvation is found in Christ alone. Right? We have, we have different backgrounds. Some of us maybe used to try to be religious and try to earn it. Or some of us just didn't care a thing about God, whatever. But somehow God broke through to us through his word, by his spirit, and showed us no No one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Salvation is by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. And because of God's great mercy, we have all been called out of darkness and transferred to Christ's eternal kingdom. And in God's providence, he's brought us together as members of this local church, Abounding Grace Church of Visalia. We are all together following Christ as Lord. We're all taught by his word. We're all dependent on his spirit. We're all committed to his body. And we're all zealous for his glory. Praise God. We have a common faith. And we have a common mindset. And he's telling us to just remember that and cultivate that. And, and, and rejoice in that. And, and build, each other, build each other up in that. Now understand, unity of mind does not mean uniformity, right? Again, that's what's so beautiful about the body of Christ. There's different members, right? By God's grace, we have a variety of gifts. We have a variety of backgrounds. But again, we're all all saved through Jesus Christ. One faith, one Lord. We recognize that God has saved us to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus Christ. And God calls us to different areas of service within his local body and within the kingdom of God at large. We have this unity of mind because we know that this fallen world is not our home. Remember, that's, that's the, the, the theme, really, of 1 Peter. That's the, the um, image or characterization he gives of, of believers, right? You are exiles. We are exiles. We're following Christ in this fallen world. We're not seeking to store up treasures on earth, but we realize that we have the privilege and the, and the calling to know Christ and to make him known. What unity there is in that, right? We're all sinners saved by grace, and we're all seeking to bring glory to him. So this unity of mind then leads to a common unity of heart with one another, which is what's described in the following qualities, and I'll 
probably go through those even more quickly here. Look at the second one, sympathy. Right? Sympathy. Again, Peter's very condensed, but he's, you know, these are like one another's. You know, he's saying just be sympathetic with one another. Right? It, mean, it literally means to share the same feeling. It speaks of being sensitive to the same needs. It's a, it's a stirring of the heart that's shared. It made me think of 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We weep with those who weep and we re- rejoice with those who rejoice. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I appreciate Pastor John mentioning that in his prayer. We're, you know, we're a family By God's grace, we're fellow members in the family of God. And so then let us come alongside one another like a family would. (laughs) Let us come alongside one another to encourage one another, to enter into one another's sorrow, to enter into one another's joy, that we may mutually care for one another, like 1 Corinthians 12 says. Speaking of being a part of the family of God, the next Christ-like quality in verse 8 is brotherly love. Of course, brotherly love refers to affection and care among people that are a family, right? That are connected to one another, that are related. Again, of course, we've been called to love all people, love our neighbors, love our enemies, even the Bible says. But we should especially be quick to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, As we heard in our scripture reading, Jesus calls us to love one another as he has loved us. Wow. Love one another as he has loved us. How has Christ loved us? He became one of us. The eternal son of God became one of us. He endured weakness and suffering to live a perfect life for us in our place as our representative. He bore then our sins on the cross and he, he bore the wrath of God, excuse me, the wrath of God on the cross. He, he propitiated the wrath of God. He satisfied it. He, he turned it away from us by dying in our place on the cross. He rose again and ascended to heaven where he's interceding for us now. He sent his spirit into our hearts to make us alive, to guide us and empower us. He's made us a part of his body, giving us brothers and sisters to walk the Christian journey together. Again, these are things, these are ways Jesus has already loved us, but we know he continues to love us. He continues to forgive us. He continues to fellowship with us, drawing us near, comforting us. He continues to pray for us and provide for us and affirm his love for us again and again. Because we doubt it, right? Because we know we sin and we know we fall so short. And we, but he keeps saying, I love you. I love you. I've died for you. You are righteous in me, <laughs> in Christ. Oh, what amazing love. That's his great love for us. We could talk a lot longer about that. But. And then he calls us to love one another. And it's by us, the way we can do that is by meditating on his love for us, right? As we daily, uh, John 15, abide in his love, by meditating on the gospel, his love then will flow through us for each other. His spirit, his life will help us 
be patient with one another. Help us forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Help us sacrifice to serve one another. Help us speak gospel truth to one another, encouraging one another, even warning one another if we need to, right? Even humbly correcting one another when we would start to go astray. Such love is what we're being called to here. Brotherly love. Love begins then within the church among brothers and sisters in Christ. And then it certainly, again, by, by the Spirit, by His life, should extend out to unbelievers as well. Again, this kind of love is not something we stir up ourselves. Like I said, we meditate on the gospel. Romans 5, 4 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So, like I said earlier, the power comes from God to live this way. A tender heart is the next characteristic. Again, kind of similar to what we've been talking about with sympathy and brotherly love. Being, it, being so affected by the pain of others that we feel it deeply. It's this tender-hearted compassion. It's the kind of compassion that affects you physically. Right? It's not just like, oh man, that's a bummer, you know. I'll pray for you. See ya. <laughs> you know? No. It's like, I'm, wow. And again, we see, this is Christ-like qualities, right? We see this in Jesus, don't we? In the Gospels when... You know, he's moved with compassion. If you are willing, you can make me clean. I am willing. Be clean, he tells the leper and touches him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's love, it's compassion that results in action. When someone's hurting, especially, again, another member of the body, it should affect us down to our very guts. Oh, God, how can I help them? I mean, we know we can always pray for them, and that is, that's the best thing we can do in many ways. But, Lord, is there something else? Is there some way I can, I can come alongside them, just sit with them? Just sit with them, just be with them, just help them, pray with them. And in my prayer, I'm, I'm pointing them back to who you are. I'm pointing them back to the promises of God. A humble mind. Right? I mean, this, I love the, the, the unity of the Bible, by the way. You know, right? Like Jesus taught this and, and the apostles taught this. You know, James said, you know, thinking about what, what we were just talking about. You know, faith without works is dead, right? You don't, you don't just say, oh, be warm, be filled, brother. See it. No, you help. John says, you know, let us love not in word and deed, but in action, right? Humble mind is the last one here in verse 8. Humility, right? You know, again, this is Christ-like. This is countercultural. In the, in the first century culture, and I guess it probably in many ways in ours too, you know, humility was viewed as a weakness. Oh, you can't defend your honor, right? It's really interesting, by the way. You know, I, I see this from afar being a sports fan. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know. He disrespected me, you know, and now I can't, I, hey, he, I can't let him get away with that. You know, I've got to stand up to him. And I mean, you know, blah, 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 right? And that's played out a million times in our, well, among unbelievers in, in circles, right? That's not what the Bible says. It says, be humble. Turn the other cheek. 
Humility speaks of voluntary submission and unselfishness. Certainly things that Peter's already been teaching us about, right? A humble mind recognizes who God is, who we are, (laughs) how great the chasm is and was between us and and God, you know, because of our sin. And what he, the, the mercy he's shown us, the grace he's shown us, it humbles us then. And then by his grace, I'm able to humbly serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm able to do what Philippians 2 calls us to do, to consider others' interests more important than our own. And again, Philippians 2, speaking of that, right, points us to the supreme example of Christ, how he humbled himself. So this is Christ-like behavior. This is... And again, I remind us, why are we doing this? Why, why is he calling us? To, this is what it means to be a disciple, to become more like Christ. Because it brings glory to Christ and it helps us. <laughs> by, by striving to be more like Christ, we are becoming instruments of God's grace. To he, God is ministering to us through each other. By being Christ-like to one another, we're displaying Christ to one another and we're building up the body of Christ, right? Christ is our life. Christ is how we grow. We all need more of Christ. And yes, elders and and teachers, praise God, we, you know, God gifts us and calls us to teach the word of God, to teach Christ. And, of course, we all can be feasting on the word of God. And then as the body of Christ, we're all then to be speaking the truth in love. We're all to be speaking Christ to each other. And we're to be displaying Christ to each other. Oh, don't we need more and more of Christ? And think about our interactions, how we can be Christ-like to each other. And point each other again and again back to Christ. That's what Ephesians 4 is talking about, right? Elders equip the saints to be doing the work of ministry so that we can uh, be growing up, be maturing into manhood. And then Ephesians 4.15 says that, so as we minister Christ-like care to one another, the body grows up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Ephesians 4.15. So by living this way within the church, remember verse 8 was primarily about the church. By living this way within the church, then, It sanctifies us, it equips us, it grows us to be able to live that way outside the church. And that brings us to our last heading in verses 9 through 12. Encouragement for Christ-like living. In verse 9, it's, again, certainly we should, what verse 9 says we should be doing with one another, but it is like the focus shifts to now this is how then you should be treating unbelievers Or how you should be responding when they mistreat you. Verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. What are you to do? Think about this. Let's put this right in our, our daily life. What are you to do when others slander you? Or mock you for being a Christian? Maybe they don't say, I'm, you know, you're dumb because you're a Christian. Maybe they don't say it that way. But they mock you because you're standing for something because of being a Christian, right? 
What do you do? What do you do when others slander you or mock you for being a Christian? Well, verse 9 first says what we don't do. We don't repay evil for evil, right? We don't revile for reviling, right? Oh, yeah? Well, you know, you're this. No, but look, verse 9 takes it further, doesn't it? Not only are we not to repay evil for evil, but what else are we supposed to do? Bless. Bless means to invoke God's favor on someone. So we're to actually do them good. And specifically, I think, you know, the, the, the uh, default application here is we're to pray for them. We're to wish and pray for God to do good for them. So not only are we to not retaliate, but we're to bless, we're to pray. When they slander or mock, again, we're not returning a verbal jab, nor are we just kind of silently slinking away and saying, right, and becoming embittered. No, by God's grace, we we show self-control. And I'm not saying we give a, a snarky comment, well, God bless you, you know, I mean, whatever. I mean, if God moves you to say something in that moment, then, then may, may he do that. But the, it's, a, it's an attitude of the heart. We're to pray for them. Oh, God. They don't, they don't understand. God, they're like I used to be. They're, they're lost in their sin. They're deceived. God, please do good for them. Please bring the gospel to them. Please use me to bring the gospel to them. That's hard, isn't it? <laughs> right? I mean, if we're being honest, that's hard to do. Our flesh wants to retaliate, right? And again, that's, that doesn't make you strong. That's just the default. That's what everybody would do. Right? Proverbs talks about, man, you're a stronger man uh, if you can be self-controlled. Right? We think a strong man takes a city, but Proverbs says, no, actually a, a man who can be under control is stronger. <laughs> This is hard. It's not natural. And that's the point. It's supernatural. Right? Returning good for evil can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And again, that's what Peter's talking about. This is living that demonstrates we have new life in Christ. By returning good for evil, we are demonstrating that we have the Holy Spirit. We're demonstrating that God, by his grace, has saved us and made us new. Blessing those who revile you is a beautiful witness to the life-changing power of Christ. And like we've already talked about and we see it now in verse 9, these commands, this behavior is rooted in the gospel. It flows out of what God has done for us. Look at verse 9. And it's going to seem confusing at first, but just hang with me. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, okay, that you may obtain a blessing. Wait a minute. That you may obtain a blessing? Is, Is he saying we have to return good for evil so that God will bless us? No. Right? That's backwards. 
The word obtain is normally translated inherit. That's the idea there, inherit. That that you may inherit a blessing. Question. When you inherit something, do you earn it? You don't, do you? It's It's given to you. It's a gift. To inherit is to receive something not earned, not deserved. Wages are earned, and inheritance is given to you. So the blessing we inherit from God is undeserved. Verse 9 is pointing us back to the future inheritance that Peter praised God for back in chapter 1, right? The inheritance of future resurrection. The inheritance of eternal life and the glory of God. The inheritance of living with God and reigning with Christ in in the new heavens and the new earth. The inheritance that was won through Christ's resurrection rather than earned through our behavior. The inheritance that Peter says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So verse 9 is saying, bless those who sin against you because you have a wonderful inheritance awaiting you. Okay? Important that we understand that. Bless those who sin against you because you have a wonderful inheritance awaiting or waiting for you. One commentator said it this way. We suffer well now not in order to be a Christian, but because we are a Christian. Right? That's what he's talking about. Suffering well. Suffering well. Suffering like Christ. What did Christ do? He didn't revile in return. He returned blessing. He prayed. When he was hanging on the cross, he prayed for those who were persecuting him return good for evil because God has graciously saved you and made you his own because you have the Holy Spirit because you are a new creation now be who you are he's saying unbelievers retaliate the unsaved culture says hey you can't let them disrespect you the the unsaved culture says oh revenge is a dish best served cold right you know I mean all these cute sayings that's what unbelievers do But you are no longer part of this fallen world. God has graciously adopted you into his family. So you have a glorious inheritance awaiting you. So now live as a child of God. You are co-heirs with Christ. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. So now live like Christ. Be Christ-like in how you respond to the evil done against you. And he's already been pointing us to how Christ responded back in chapter 2, didn't he? So then in verses 10 through 12, Peter quotes from Psalm 34, which Peter likes Psalm 34 because obviously the Holy Spirit is directing all this, right? He's already uh, quoted from it back in chapter 2. But now here, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he uses Psalm 34 as an example of how Christians today are to be living. And perhaps part of the reason why he's drawn to Psalm 34 by the Holy Spirit is because David wrote Psalm 34 while he was an exile in Philistia, <laughs> right? When he had, had fled and he's living among the Philistines, he writes Psalm 34. Ah, how appropriate because we're exiles. So Peter here is urging Christians, urging Christian exiles to make every effort to produce the works, the, the fruit of the Spirit that gives evidence of a sincere faith. 
Right? It's God who produces it in us. But we are to work out our own salvation. We are to walk in the spirit. We are to make every effort to do that then. Verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days. Right? Here's the quotation from Psalm 34. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So you can see how this does fit very well, doesn't it? Don't revile. (laughs) Keep your lips from speaking. uh, Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil. Do good. Bless them instead. Right? Do return evil. Return good for evil. And I hope you see there's such an encouragement here, right? We've talked about because of our inheritance. When he's, you know... He's saying, you have an eternal inheritance awaiting you. And yes, there's, there, you know, there's some uh, current truths about this, right? Like um, where it says, he who would, I lost it, whoever, verse 10, whoever desires to love life and see good days, right? I mean, there's some truth to that, right? If we walk in obedience, um, we might spare ourselves some pain, but yet God can still, will still sovereignly bring trials into our life. But we know when we sin, it brings God's discipline. It, it, sin has natural consequences. So yeah, there's some temporal truth to this. But again, he's pointing us ultimately ahead to our eternal inheritance. He's saying, God has given you good life. God has given you eternal life. That's what you have to look forward to. And that enables us to return good for evil. Think about it. We can bless when we're insulted Why? Because God has so graciously blessed us. Right? I don't need man's approval. I know we all want it. We all want to be liked. We we wish everyone would just speak well of us and like us, right? But we don't need that. Because the God of the universe, in his infinite grace and mercy, loves us and has blessed us. And so we can return a blessing. So, loved ones, be encouraged, right? There's, this psalm reminds us that we have a, an eternal inheritance awaiting us, and it reminds us that we have a sovereign and faithful God. He sees, he knows what's happening to you. He knows and cares when you're being persecuted. Remember how he confronted Saul on the Damascus Road. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Takes it personally. We are his body. We are in Christ. So he knows, and he's, he's giving you the grace to return good for evil, to endure that suffering, to keep your, your faith and your hope set on your future inheritance, and to trust him, like Jesus in chapter 2, right? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Trust him. He's in control, and he's, he's at work for your good and his glory. So may God help us to, to be Christ-like to be Christ-like in how we treat one another, and to be Christ-like in how we return good for evil, that others may see and come to know Christ. And if you're here today and, and you don't know Christ, I just, you've heard the gospel preached to you when I was talking about how he has loved us. I just, I just pray that God will draw you to himself, that you will turn from evil, that you will turn from living for yourself, that you'll confess your sins, 
that you'll, by faith, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, embrace him as Savior and Lord. May, may God help you do that. If I can be a help to you, please come talk to me after the service. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you, Lord, for your amazing grace and mercy to us. Behold what manner of love has been given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we thank you for this wonderful inheritance that we have. We thank you for uniting us to Christ. We thank you for calling us to follow him in order to become like him. We thank you for the new life that is in us, that we're new creations, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And Lord, we, we need you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, we, will, we won't treat each other this way, and we certainly won't treat those who persecute us this way. But yet you are greater. You are more powerful than, than our remaining sin. And so may you help us, Lord, please, to grow and become more like Christ for the building up of the body and for the display of Christ to the, unseen, to the unsaved world. May we be an increasing display of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are going to conclude our service by taking the Lord's Supper together. So if I could have the men come forward, please, who are going to serve us today. Slight, um, slight change from how it's been before, just in the trays. Uh, of course, as usual, there's the two cups stacked on each other, one with the bread, one with the cup uh, of juice. There is gluten-free in the red cups, and this time they're stacked as well. So you, all you have to do is grab them, you'll have your gluten-free, and you'll have your juice. Right? Okay. So, appreciate uh, Mandy and others that they're, they're uh, trying to streamline this, tweak it for us to make it as, as um, easy as possible. Praise God for this um, uh, ordinance he's given to the, to the church. What a gift of our Lord Jesus to give us this tangible reminder of what he has done. Right? This is, these are symbols. We know that Christ has suffered once for sin. That he, his suffering is over. He is exalted and reigning from the Father's right hand now and as our great high priest and as Lord over all. But these are just uh, tangible reminders of his body that was broken for us, of his, his blood that was shed for us. And so he tells believers to remember, to remember. And so today, if you're a believer, if you've publicly identified with our Lord Jesus Christ, we, we invite you and welcome you to, to take the Lord in the, uh, to take the bread and the cup. And um, if you're not a believer, I also have an invitation for you. I invite you to consider Christ. Again, pray and ask God to, to show you who, who Christ is and what he has done. And again, I'd, I'd love to talk with you uh, more about that afterwards.